Hebrews 9, 15 to 22. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen? Let's read that verse one more time. It's so, so powerful. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For um, where there is a testament, there must be there, there must also of necessity of the death of that tester. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the tester lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses has spoken every precept of, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of cows and goats, with water, um, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled um, both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions. There is no forgiveness of sin. Amen? Amen. This is one of the most interesting passages throughout the book of Hebrews. Just to let you know where we got here, um, the book of Hebrews, again, probably sick or tired of hearing this, but it's a good reminder every week. This book was written to people who were Jewish at some point, and then they became Christian, Right? And then they wanted to go back to Judaism and abandon Christ because of persecution that they were facing. So the author of Hebrews wrote this book so they will not consider going back to Judaism. Pretty much the first 10 chapters, he argued the supremacy of Christ, the Son of God, the supremacy of Christianity over Judaism. And by saying that Christianity is superior, he's by default telling them, don't leave what is superior to go to what is inferior. We've seen that he started by arguing that Jesus is superior to the prophets. We have seen Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. And then the bulk of the, of the book, again, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and almost all chapter 10, that's almost six chapters in the book, the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is superior to Aaron, Moses' brother, the high priest of the Old Testament. Amen? He, he broke it down into two main points. He said that the person of Jesus is superior to the person of Aaron. Jesus, as our high priest in his person, is superior to the high priest in his person of the Old Testament. And that was chapter 5, 6, and 7. And now we arrive to where we are right now, that Jesus' ministry as our high priest was superior than the ministry of the Old Testament high priest. Jesus has a superior priesthood. And that was chapter 8, 9, and almost the whole chapter 10. In that ministry umbrella, the author of Hebrews has four arguments. Why the ministry of Jesus is better than the ministry of Aaron. 
we have seen that Jesus has ministered in a better sanctuary. That's the first half of chapter 8. That Jesus ministered under better covenant terms. The terms of his covenant is far much better than the covenant of the Old Testament. And that was the second half of chapter 8. And then we've seen here chapter 9 throughout, Jesus has a better ministry. And then chapter 10, Jesus has a better sacrifice. Better sanctuary, better covenant, better ministry, and better sacrifice. Chapter 9, we're zooming in into our passage today. The whole chapter talks how Jesus has a better ministry than that of Aaron. The first thing Verses, the author of Hebrews went back and he did a review of the ministry of the Old Testament. He started chapter 9, verse 1, by give us, giving us an introduction of the Old Testament ministry. You guys remember that? And he said that the Old Testament ministry has two things, has a sanctuary and the ordinance of the divine service, which he elaborated on in, in verse 2 to verse 10. In verse 2 to 5, he elaborated how the Old Testament ministry had its earthly sanctuary, temporary sanctuary. And then in verse 6 to verse 10, he elaborated how the Old Testament ministry has its own divine ordinance. He followed the exact same pattern later on in, in verses 11 to verse 28. Like verses 1 to verse 10, he also started with an introduction. You guys are with me? Comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament, and he presented that introduction in verse 11 to 12. In this introduction, he highlighted four sub-points to the supremacy of the ministry of Christ. Number one, Jesus' ministry is better because the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than the blood of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. He elaborated on that idea from verse 13 to verse 22, which Part of what we're talking about today is here. Then we're going to see next week that Jesus' ministry is better because Jesus entered into heaven itself. Unlike the Old Testament high priest who would enter into a handmade sanctuary, Jesus entered into the very presence of God. And then he will argue that Jesus has a better ministry because he put away sin once and for all by the sacrifice of him, himself. And then the fourth reason is because Jesus is able to save from judgment and provide eternal redemption unlike the Old Testament high priest. You guys are with me? All right. We're zooming in right now to verse uh, um, 11 to verse 28. Jesus' ministry is superior because of the power of the blood of Jesus that is far much powerful than the blood of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And there is two main points under that. I hope you follow me with the notes because it's, it's a little bit, we're trying to dig deeper to follow the, the thought process of the author of Hebrews. Jesus' blood is powerful because it acts in two separate ways. Number one, the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse our conscience, unlike the blood of the Old Testament sacrifices that was not able to cleanse the conscience of him who's approaching God, right? And we talked about that last week. Now this week, we're going to focus on verse 15 to verse 22. Why the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than the blood of the old sacrifices? It's because the blood of Jesus is the mean by which the new covenant has been inaugurated. Because of the blood of Jesus is the blood of the new covenant, 
And that is why it is far much powerful than the blood of the Old Testament that was the blood of the Old Covenant. You guys are with me? The New Covenant is far more superior and it was inaugurated by the blood of Christ. The Old Testament Covenant was far more inferior and it was inaugurated by the blood of the sacrifices. And if the New Testament Covenant is far more superior and the blood of Jesus was the means to that, therefore, the blood of Jesus is far more superior than all the blood that was shed in the Old Covenant. You guys are with me? All right. So that is the idea of verse 15 to verse 22. The blood of Jesus is far more powerful because it is through the blood of Jesus that the New Covenant has been inaugurated. In his argument that... The blood of Jesus is far more, far more powerful than the Old Testament blood that was shed, or the, sh the blood that was shed under the Old Testament. The author of Hebrews gives us three reasons why the blood of Jesus is far more powerful. He tells us in verse 15 that the blood of Jesus is far more powerful because it is through the redemption by his blood that the sins of the Old Testament has been redeemed. Amen? Because his blood provided redemption for the transgression in the Old Testament. That's verse 15. Number two, because his blood inaugurated, enforced the terms of the new covenant. If Jesus would have not shed his blood, if Jesus would have not died for us on the cross, that new covenant that we have with God would have never took place. And number three, the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than the Old Testament blood that was shed under the Old Testament covenant is because the blood of Jesus qualified us to enter into that covenant with God. You guys are with me? So in verse 15, why the blood of Jesus is more powerful? Because through the blood, redemption has happened to the Old Testament transgressions. Therefore, we can enter into the new covenant. Verse 16 to verse 18, it is because of the blood of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, that the rules of the new covenant can take effect. And the third reason is because the blood of Jesus has qualified us to enter into that covenant with God. And that's verse 19 to verse 22. So that's the breakdown of this passage. Let's look into these um, uh, reasons real quick. Verse 15, start by saying, for this reason, he is a mediator for a new covenant, of the new covenant. What reason is the author of Hebrews talking about here? We talked about this last week. Remember what verse 14 said? Verse 14 said that how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up to God, how? Through his death on the cross, right? How did Jesus offer himself up to Christ? Through the death of the cross. How much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself up to God, who is without spot, will cleanse your conscience from dead work to serve the living God? Now the author of Hebrews is picking up on that. Verse 15. For this reason, for the fact that Jesus offered himself up on the cross as our substitute and shed his blood, because Jesus died, he is the mediator of the new covenant. You guys are with me? The opposite is also true. If Jesus would have not died on our, on our behalf on the cross, he would have not been qualified to be the mediator of the new covenant. You guys are with me? And that word for this reason also look forward. Because if you read the rest of that uh, phrase, it says this. For this reason, he's a mediator of a new covenant. How? By means of death. 
In other words, it's because he died. He is the mediator of the new covenant. You guys are with me? So pretty much in verse 15, in the beginning of that verse, which sets the stage pretty much for the whole seven verses, the author of Hebrews is telling us that it is because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood that now he is qualified to be the mediator of the new covenant. The opposite of that is absolutely true. If Jesus would have not died, if his blood would have never been shed on our behalf on the cross, we would have no new covenant with God. Amen? Right? Now, how is it that the blood of Jesus inaugurated, uh, ratified that new covenant that we have with God? Again, we spoke about these three ideas. Number one is because his blood, the blood that he shed, his death on the cross, redeemed the transgression uh, that was committed under the first covenant. And that's what we read in verse 15. It says this, by means of death. For the redemption, when Jesus died, he accomplished the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen? Amen. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? I didn't write this down, but I was thinking about that verse after I wrote my notes, so I've been thinking about this. <clears throat> Imagine this situation. Um, you went and you signed a lease for an apartment, okay? And that lease is for a full year that you have to pay $2,000 rent for a full year in order to have this apartment. You thought it's a good deal, you signed up the lease, now you're obligated. Under that lease terms that you have to pay $2,000 a year for the next 12 months. You're with me? Nine months into that lease, six months into that lease or something like that, you find this wonderful new home that the seller want to get rid of it as fast as possible. And they are giving in to all your requests and all your demands. You say, oh, I want to take $50,000 off. And he say, deal, I'll give it to you for $50,000 less, right? And this deal is just so unresistible. It is, you know, this is the best deal you can come, you can ever encounter. The, there's a problem though that can hold you back from jumping into that deal right away. And what it is, is that you are already under a lease. You guys are with me? The fact that you are already under the lease is something that's going to weigh on you. So if you're six months into your old lease, that means six by 2,000, that's $12,000. You still have to pay to satisfy the requirement of the old lease, right? Which in an essence can offset all the goodness that you can find in that new deal. You guys are with me? So the fact, listen to this, the fact that you are under an old lease can hold you back from entering into that new agreement that is far much better for you than that old lease. You guys are with me? And that's precisely, in a way, what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. You know, when, when, when Moses and the children of Israel got out of the land of Egypt, they made a covenant with God. That was the old covenant. It's like your old lease. You guys are with me? And under the terms of the old covenant, Moses and the children of Israel said to God, we'll do whatever you command us to do, right? The God said, okay, perfect, let's agree on that. The flip side of that, God said, if you don't do what I am commanding you to do, if you break my law, then you, might, you will perish, you will die. You guys are with me? I'll read that example for you. Deuteronomy 30, 17 to 20. 
But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other God and serve them, look at this, verse 18. I announce to you today that you will surely what? Perish. You shall, no, you, sh you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and to possess. That is the terms of the deal that God has cut with Moses and the children of Israel under the Old Testament. Amen? They abide by the law of God, and if they do not abide by the law of God, they will die. They will perish. You're with me? Now, here is the, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. Because humanity was under that old covenant terms with God, under that old lease with God, we cannot enter into any new covenant, in any new agreement with God, unless the terms of the old covenant has been satisfied. And as much as you're leasing an apartment, you cannot leave that lease and go find another home, buy another home, unless the terms of that lease has been satisfied, unless the $24,000 that you owe over a year must be paid, and unless it is paid, you cannot just break free from that lease at any point. You guys are with me? Right? And that's what Jesus did for us. The old covenant brought death upon us. And even though it failed to bring us close to God, there would have been no way that we can just easily break free from that old covenant. The terms of the old covenant still must be satisfied. In order for that covenant to go away, in order that our relationship with God is not going to be based on our works, and death will happen if we disobey God, Somehow, the terms of that covenant still must be satisfied before that covenant is done with. You guys are with me? And that's what Jesus has done when he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he was our substitute. And he paid as our substitute through his death the penalty of us breaking the law of God. You guys are with me? And because Jesus, through his death, satisfied the requirement of God under the old covenant, the terms of the old covenant now has been absolutely 100% been fulfilled. Thus, we can do away with the old covenant and we can start a brand new covenant with God. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And that's what Jesus, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here in verse 15. For this reason, he's a mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is able to launch us into a new covenant because he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he has redeemed us from the transgression that was committed under the first covenant that brought death on us under the first covenant terms. And because the requirement, the, the legal obligations under the first covenant has been satisfied by the death of Christ as our substitute on the cross, now we can do away with the old covenant and now we can start that new covenant, that new relationship with God. Amen? That's just amazing. That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. When Jesus died, he satisfied all the legal requirement of the first covenant, and thus we can do away with it and move on to the new covenant with God. Now, verse 15, for this reason he is what? Mediator. We talked about this word before. We, we preached from this passage many times before, so a lot of this will be out of you. 
Jesus is a mediator. You remember what the words mean? It means a broker, right? Somebody who is a go-between two people. Try to, like, if, if Barb and Brother Emmanuel are not on talking terms, and I am the go-in-between them, I go to Brother Emmanuel and say, Hey, Brother Emmanuel, what would it take for you to talk with Barb again and have a good relationship with her? And you'll say, Oh, you know, she owes me 50 bucks, and she has to pay it back. And I go to Barb, it's like, Hey, Barb, you know, you have 50 bucks, so you can pay for him. So that relationship can come back. She's like, no, I only have 45. I go to Brother Emmanuel. She only has 45. Will that be enough? He's like, yes, that's enough. And then I am the in-between, the one who's go between both of them to try to bring them together, right? And that's precisely what Jesus has done for us. He's the mediator of the new covenant. Because without Jesus, God who's holy, man who's sinful, cannot be on talking terms, right? But it is Jesus who is the go-between holy God and sinful man. And through him, the terms of the new covenant has been negotiated. Amen? And then he says this. Now Jesus, because of his death on the cross, has become the mediator of the new covenant. What is the result of the new covenant? That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now... I think the author of Hebrews in purpose using the word inheritance at the very end of verse 15. Tell me why. Ask me why. Why? Very good. How, do you, how can you ever obtain an inheritance? How can anybody ever obtain an inheritance? Traditionally by will. Right, by will. And something else has to happen in order for you to obtain the inheritance. Some, that the person who has the money need to die, and when they die, then you can obtain the inheritance, right? And that word, inheritance, I feel like it's the hook that the author of Hebrews used to launch into verse 16. Remember, we received an inheritance, and that inheritance is the promise of eternal life, right? But how did we receive that inheritance? When Jesus died... When he died as the one who wrote that well, as the one who wrote that, um, has owns everything and died, when he died, we can receive that inheritance from him. Amen? So he's using that word inheritance to hook us up to the following idea. Verse 16, 17, and part of verse 18. Jesus, through his death, through his blood, inaugurated the new covenant because without his death, the terms of the new covenant would have never been enforced. Just like when a person runs, writes a will. Let's say I'm writing a will that I'm going to divide my wealth, all $20, between my three kids, right? Each one of them will take $7, and one of them will be cheated of a dollar, right? My kids will never receive that money unless I die. Even though the will is written and it is sealed at the lawyer's office, that will will never become effective unless I die. You guys are with me? And that's in an essence what the author of Hebrews is telling us. That new covenant is like a will. But this will can never take place unless the person who actually has the power to bestow these benefits of that new covenant on us dies. And when that person dies, then the terms of that will can actually be enforced and we can benefit out of it. You guys are with me? And that's the second reason. It's because the blood of Jesus, Jesus died, and because of his blood, the terms of the new covenant can be enforced and we can actually benefit from that new covenant. Having said that, verse um, 16, 17, and part of verse 18 is probably one of the most difficult passages in the book of Hebrews to understand. Why? 
Because that word, covenant, or well, or tester, that the author of Hebrews used, that word in Greek is diatheke. Now, this word has different meaning depending on the context where you read it. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you guys are with me? That is pretty much the Bible that the author of Hebrews used, has that word as the word covenant. So every time that the Hebrew Bible has the word covenant, the Septuagint will translate, that, translate the word covenant with the word diatheke. You guys are with me? Now, the, the other problem, the other side of that coin is this. In the Hellenistic Jewish community, which is in between the two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Jews were mixed with the Greek, and a lot of the Greek concept entered into the Jewish culture, and you have that community that is called the Hellenistic Judaism, which is Greek culture mixed with uh, Jewish culture, and that's pretty much the backdrop of the whole New Testament, where the Greek concept has mixed so much into the Jewish culture and the Jewish uh, mindset. In that culture of the New Testament, the word diatheke was used as as the word will. When somebody dies, they write a will. So this word can be translated either way. It can be covenant based on the Septuagint, or it can be well, like a, a will of a dying person, based on the culture of that time. And you can see the tension in the English translations. Every translation translated this word as well. The NIV, the ESV, pretty much all the major translations translate this word as well, except the NASV, the New American Standard Version, translated this word as a covenant, went with the Septuagint. You guys are with me? So that is the difficulty of that passage. The word is difficult to pinpoint exactly what's in the mind of the author of Hebrews. I think that the author of Hebrews chose that word on purpose, and he uh, did a word play. This word can be carried both ways, and he used it in both ways. So he put the word there and let you try to figure out what he's trying to do. He's, he's, de he's doing definitely word play here to try to make us think about it. You guys are with me? And I just love how F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, which is one of the greatest commenta commentators, uh, wrote about this. I'm just going to read it because it's so powerful. I cannot present it any better than this. I think it's line four after footnote five. It says this. The author of Hebrews seems to be telling us that Jesus is both the tester and the executioner of the new diatheke. You guys are with me? Whether that word means covenant or will, the author of Hebrews is telling us both. Jesus is the person who died, who wrote the will, and through his death, the terms of this will became available for us. But Jesus is also the enforcer, the mediator of that new covenant that we have now with God. You guys are with me? So Jesus is both the tester and the executioner of the new diatheke. And as much as he is the legal guarantor and the mediator of the new covenant. We've seen that before, right? The author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the mediator of the new diatheke and there is one kind of diatheke that presents his ministry well, namely the testimoniary diatheke, the well kind of diatheke. You guys are with me? Um, which doesn't take effect before the death of the person who made it. Again, it's wordplay. He's the author of Hebrews. He's, he's playing with us with this word. He's saying that the covenant that Jesus helped facilitate it is very much so similar to the kind of covenant 
kind of covenant that is like a will that can only take place that can only take place only when the tester, the person who wrote that will, can actually die. You guys are with me? In verse 18, the author of Hebrews still continued to tell us that even the earlier diatheke, the old covenant, required blood for ratification. It is not the death of the one who made the diatheke, unlike the new covenant. You guys are with me? Uh, in that case, in the case of the earlier diatheke, but death nevertheless. You guys follow me. It's a tricky passage. The author of Hebrews is playing with us, and he's using this word to imply both. It's a covenant, and it's a will. The covenant that Jesus helped mediate is very much so similar to the will that is written by a person that is dying that takes effect only when that person actually dies. You're with me? So why is the blood of Jesus far more superior in inaugurating the new covenant than the blood of the Old Testament sacrifices? Two reasons so far. Number one, because the blood of Jesus satisfied the legal requirement of the Old Covenant. Thus, we can do away with it, right? All the requirement has been met, we can put it aside now. We can start a brand new one. But number two, because the covenant that Jesus inaugurated through his blood is so much like a will that can never take place unless the one who wrote that will actually dies. Verse 17, let's read it together. For a testament, a will, is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the tester lives. Think about that. All the benefits of the new covenant that we have with God. Think about that. The forgiveness of sin. That God will be, we talked about this. The forgiveness of sin. That God will be our God and we will be his people. The unconditional acceptance by God. All these benefits that we entered into under the new covenant terms. Think about this. All these terms. Look what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Has no power at all if Jesus would have not died. You guys are with me? If the blood of Jesus would have not been shed on the cross for our sakes, we would have never been able to tap into, to enter into that wonderful new covenant that we have with God. Amen? The blood of Jesus was the blood of the covenant by which... That new covenant, the wonderful new terms by which we can approach God has been inaugurated. Why? Because Jesus satisfied the legal requirement of the old covenant. We can put it aside because it is through his death that the rules of that new covenant can be enforced. Amen? But number three, why the blood of Jesus is the blood of the covenant? Why can we enter into a new covenant with God through the blood of Christ? And that is because the blood of Jesus has qualified us to enter into that new covenant with God. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? Remember that God is holy, right? And we are sinful people. Now, covenant, for, for, for a simpler definition, is just a relationship, right? I have a covenant marriage with Katrina. What is that? It's a sort of relationship I have with her that I don't have with anybody else. You guys are with me? That covenant it starts a relationship between the covenant marriage started a relationship between me and Katrina. Even between you and me and you guys, we have a kind of a covenant agreement. I'll pastor you, I'll try to teach you God's word faithfully, you know, and you try not to give me a hard time in return, something like that. So we have some sort of relationship, but the terms of that relationship starts with the covenant. 
The same idea is applied to our relationship with God. We have a new relationship, a new covenant with God. The problem is God is too holy to enter into any source of relation, any kind of relationship with sinners like you and me. We're just too bad for him. You guys are with me? We're just so messed up with sin. We're so filthy to who he is, to how holy he is, that there's no way, even if he wants to, that he can enter into a relationship with us. It, our natures don't mix. Our uh, personalities cannot match. We, there's no way that we can enter in any sort of relationship with God. And the problem why we cannot enter into any relationship with God is uh, our sins. We're sinners. We keep on sinning. And God is holy. He cannot tolerate or accommodate our sins. So in order for that covenant to happen, in order for that relationship to happen, the root of the problem must be taken care of, right? What is the root of the problem? Our sins. Unless our sins is done away with, unless we are forgiven before a holy and a righteous God, purified before Him, there would have been absolutely no way for God to come close to us or have any sort of relationship with us. You guys are with me? Yeah. Let me rephrase that. Unless our sins are forgiven, we can never enter into a relationship with God, a covenant with God. Or, unless our sins are forgiven, God can never enter into any sort of relationship with us, right? And that's why it is through the blood of Jesus that the new covenant, the new testament, the new relationship has been inaugurated. Because through the blood of Jesus, we have true and ultimate forgiveness of our sins. Sins has been wiped out. It has been pardoned because of the blood of Jesus and because the root of the problem is taken care of. Now God who is holy is not just willing, but now he's able to enter into a relationship with us. You guys are with me? And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us here from verse 18 to verse 22. It's because the blood of Jesus provides true forgiveness, cured the root of the problem. That's why a holy God is now willing and able to enter into a relationship with us. In these few verses, the author of Hebrews went back actually and reflected on the Old Testament story in, in Exodus 24, 1 to 11, when Moses inaugurated the Old Covenant. He's saying this in verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant, the old diatheke, was dedicated without blood. We can read that story back in, in, in Exodus 24. For when Moses had spoken every preceptor, to all the people, according to the law, he took blood of calves, ghosts, with water, uh, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and he sprinkled the book itself and the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant. And when Jesus, on the day when he was breaking bread on the Last Supper with his, his, his disciples, and took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the New covenant, right? The new covenant. Jesus had the exact same word of Moses from Exodus 24 in mind. When Moses started or inaugurated the old covenant, he took blood and he said, this is the blood of the covenant. And when Jesus started the new covenant with his disciple in his last supper, right before he went to the cross, he said, this blood is the blood of the new covenant. Amen. And he said, um, the, the author of Hebrews said that the, Moses took all the blood, sprinkled half on the people, half on the vessels and the tabernacle. And I'm, we talked about this before many times, so you can go back and listen to it. I'm going to skip through. Verse 22, I'm going to highlight one small thing and then we're all done. Verse 22, and according to the law, 
almost all things are purified with the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is some sort of contrast between the first part of verse 22 and the second part of verse 22. Can somebody help me out here? What is the massive contrast that the author of Hebrews is pointing? The first part, according to the law, all things I purified with blood. No, what is the word he's using? Almost, right? According to the law, almost all things um, are purified with blood. And then under the new covenant, almost all sins are forgiven by the shedding of blood. You guys are with me. You guys see what he's trying to tell us here. The author of Hebrews said, under the New Te Old Testament rules, almost everything was purified with blood. Because under the law of Moses, there were some exceptions where some things can be purified by water without actually having to use blood. I think one of these uh, um, exceptions will be the article that you can get from uh, war. If you uh, win some stuff through war, you just sprinkle water in it under the Old Testament and it's purified. You don't have to shed blood. So with very few exceptions in the Old Testament, you can obtain ceremonial cleansing, ceremonial purification without blood. Amen? But unlike the Old Testament rules, where you can obtain ceremonial purification and few exceptions without the shedding of blood, in the New Testament, throughout the history of humanity, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Amen? There is not a single sin regardless of how small it is or how large it is. Even the very sinful thought that you don't even uh, bring out and execute, even the very sinful thought, the smallest of all, the tiniest of all sins, God cannot forgive without the shedding of blood. Amen? Because the wages of our sin is death, and when Jesus died on the cross, and he was our substitute, and he shed his blood, his blood was the ransom, was the price that was paid to up ease, to satisfy the wrath of a holy and a righteous God against our sins. Amen? And because the justice of God is satisfied by the blood of Jesus, now God, who is holy and righteous, can forgive us from every, forgive us every single sin that we have ever committed. Amen? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus' blood is the mean by which we can be forgiven. And once we're forgiven, now God who is holy can enter into a new covenant with us. You with me? So what are the three reasons that the author of Hebrews has highlighted here to tell us how without the blood of Jesus, there is absolutely no way for us to enter into a new covenant with God? The first reason is verse 15. The blood of Jesus satisfied the legal requirement of the old covenant. And because it has been satisfied, now we can put it aside. The opposite is true. If the Old Testament requirement would have been satisfied, if Jesus would have not died, there would have been no way that we just can brush it under the, the carpet and put it aside. You guys are with me? Number two, because it is the blood of Jesus, it is his death that enforced the term of that new covenant. The covenant that Jesus made with us is like a will that can never take place unless the tester dies, right? And it's when Jesus died that we can benefit from the terms of the new covenant. Amen? 
And the third reason why the blood of Jesus inaugurated, ratified that new covenant is because it qualified us by providing true forgiveness of our sins that God who is holy now is willing and able to enter into our relationship with you and me. Amen? I don't know about you. Don't you think the blood of Jesus is so powerful? Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.